Well, hello, everybody. I'm the tall one in my family at uh, 5'10". <laughs> awesome. Uh, man, good morning. Man, good morning. It's good to see you. Listen, most of you look pretty good. Uh, anyway, uh, hey, good morning, all right? I, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here, and it's an honor, it's a privilege that my uh, brother, your amazing pastor, would, yeah, that's right, that's right, amazing that he would let me be here. So, uh, man, God bless. Listen, everybody, it just goes downhill from here. Okay, uh, <clears throat> so uh, today I'm going to talk a lot about language. And there's something that I love about my brother, and, and he, he got some of this from my parents, but um, my brother, your pastor, Jeremy, he is what I would call a wordsmith. He's, a, he's able to think through. There's an anointing from God on his life that he thinks through how to say things really well. Um, and, and again, he got that from my, from my parents, and I don't appreciate that. Um, because I really didn't get that. You know, what I got was a big nose. And so, you know, thanks, Mom and Dad. You are so kind. Uh, you gave that to me. But, but he's a wordsmith. I, I want to prove that to you. Your pastor that you are blessed with says things like this. That your God-given potential is our mission. You see that all over this church. He says things like, Timber Creek is a church anyone can come to. And I've noticed that looking around. I'm like, anybody. Uh, he, he, says, he says things like, we won't do life alone. I, I know from personal experience, when I try to do life alone, if I fall, it's hard to get back up again. You don't have to do life alone here, everybody. You don't. He, he says, he says, we take next steps. I'm going to give you some next steps at the end of this message that if you'll apply it, it'll help you. I guarantee it. And finally, this is my last, this, this is my, uh, my favorite, this is my favorite. He says, Jesus is at the center of all we do. If you're thankful for your pastor, one more time, can you just show him some appreciation? Yeah, he's awesome, man. He's awesome. Uh, Jeremy, you know, something that, that I love and I hate about my brother at the same time, I'm actually his biggest fan. My mom told me that growing up. You are your brother's biggest fan. Like he would say things that aren't funny and I'm laughing, you know. It still happens. I'm 38. And he'll say something, I'm like, ah! You know, I'm just loving it. I'm loving it. Um, in fact, uh, Jeremy is a great storyteller. You've experienced that, a phenomenal storyteller. And he remembers details uh, about his life that happened before he was even born. I don't know <laughs> how that's possible, but it is. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, language is powerful. Language is powerful. Um, language does this. It helps us create meaning in our lives. I love you. I hate you, <laughs> meaning. Uh, language helps us to communicate, to communicate. Uh, turn left at the big oak. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore? Just grab Google Maps, right? Helps us to communicate. 
Hopefully at some point language will help me to communicate to you. <laughs> All right, it helps us communicate. We use it to make sense of the world around us. That mountain is big. That test was difficult. My wife is amazing. <laughs> and it's true, <laughs> she is. If you were thinking a different word when I said that, that's another sermon series. Um, and then it's, it's used to create our reality. I'm hurting. I feel anxious. I feel depressed. Language is important. God uses language to answer our biggest questions in life. The very biggest. <laughs> Let me show this to you. I don't know if you've ever seen these four big questions, but there's four big questions of life that, that we need to figure out. We need to ask ourselves about these questions. The first one is origin. Where do I come from? Where do I come from? So I was born in Lincoln, Nebraska. Anybody else born in Lincoln, Nebraska? Boo, right? You hate Lincoln? Just me? No, you love it. I, listen, I live in Kansas. I love Kansas. I am not a corn husker. Wheat. If I bleed, I bleed wheat. You know what I mean? I just, I love Kansas. One day I'll die in Kansas. Probably. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, he hasn't told me, but you know. But that's where I'm, listen, being born in Lincoln is not as important as knowing where I actually come from when it comes to my family. I mean, I'm so thankful to come from Terry and Karen Yancey. Uh, you're, you're, listen, Jeremy started on the bottom rung of the totem pole when it comes to preaching in our family. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get mom and dad and woo! So, you know, so I mean, I'm setting the bar low so that they'll bring the bar high, everybody. Uh, but I'm so glad I come from, but did you know that I was on God's mind long before I was on the mind of my mom and dad? I love what Job says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. This is your origin. This is your origin, but I just wanna tell you that where we come from will never be as important as knowing who we come from. Never, ever. Here's the second question. It's morality. How should I live? What a great question. I think Jesus answers that very well in Matthew 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's great morality. You need to remember that until we find freedom from the stuff that holds us back, we'll never be fully satisfied with our lives. That's where morality comes in. See, living for Jesus, the way that I view living for and in and with Jesus, I don't view that as a chore. I view it as better. <laughs> it's better. Not that I'm better or anyone who's living for Jesus is better than you, but my life gets better when I lean into Jesus. It does, it does. Here's the third one, it's meaning. Why am I here? Why on earth am I here? 
I worked at, uh, before becoming a full-time pastor, I worked at a place called Highland Dairy. No, I didn't milk any of the cows. That happened before uh, the milk arrived, all right? It came in on tankers, and I worked there for 11 years. And I, I felt called into ministry when I was about 11 years old. And then I started working at Highland Dairy when I was barely 18. And I, I constantly ask myself the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, I got bills to pay. You know, I mean, it is what it is. I got bills to pay. I, I, I've, I've got a family to begin to feed. I mean, I need to, I need to take care of them. But the challenge was I didn't, I wasn't experienced fulfillment. I love this in, in Scripture. First Peter says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And here is the meaning, everybody, that you and I may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I mean, that is meaning. That is meaning. Did you know that 75% of the world has never discovered their God-given potential and purpose? That's a recent study, 75%. At Timber Creek Church, we can help you discover your God-given potential and purpose. It's called starting point. Starting point. Raise a hand if you've gone through starting point. All right, awesome. Almost everybody. Now, if, you, if there's someone near you that hasn't gone through starting point, go ahead and give them the stink eye. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Listen, uh, you may have seen people raise their hand and they're weird. They were weird before they took starting point. Starting point didn't make that happen to them, okay? <laughs> starting point will help you. It, it'll help you. I promise you. I promise. It, it, it'll, it'll be a blessing to you. It'll help you to discover your God-given potential and purpose. And finally, number four, this is a huge one, destiny. Like, where am I, where am I going? But this doesn't just mean like, like, like where am I going when I die? There's two sides of this coin. Where am I going a year from now? Like, you know some people, it's nobody here, but it might be people online, um, that they don't know what they're going to do tomorrow, let alone a year from now. You ever feel like that, anybody? Five years from now, I have no idea. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to even think about my destiny like when I die, let alone what's happening right now. But this is a very important question. I love this scripture from Ephesians. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. Before we were ever born, he gave us our destiny. Whew. That we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. I was, as I alluded to a moment ago, I was working at Highland Dairy, and I'd been working there for about seven years. and I knew I was called into full-time preaching ministry. 
And one night about 2 or 3 (laughs) a.m., I was real low. Did you have those nights, right? Real frustrated with my life. And so I called my brother up. That's how great of a brother and a friend he is. And he answered immediately. And we began to talk. And I said, I don't get it. What's the deal? I don't want to be here mixing sugar and powder and whey and and all these things and making Dairy Queen mixture. I don't want to be the taste tester of chocolate Dairy Queen mix. Yuck. I said, dude, I know I'm called to be a pastor. What's What's going on right now? I don't know if you've experienced this with uh, your pastor. Does he ever ask questions that you're like, that makes me uncomfortable? (laughs) The staff may or may not know. (laughs) I mean, sometimes he'll ask me a question, and I'm like, I've got to ask for forgiveness for what I say in my mind. Anybody else? I'm just being honest, trying to be honest. And he asked me this question. He said, well, Jared... If God has called you to be a pastor, why aren't you becoming a pastor of Highland Dairy right now? And I said, in call. (laughs) 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 No, 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 no. You ain't gonna do that to me. Uh Uh-uh, I don't like that. And a couple days went by, I was mad. I was mad, I was burning up. And about three days went by and I'm just, I'm sitting there just praying, I'm like, I mean, really? I mean, that's it? Like, really, Lord? Really? And so then, three days later, I go back to work, and I choose, whether they know it or not, to become the pastor of Highland Dairy. And over the next four years, I was known as the pastor of Highland Dairy. It was amazing. I'm telling you, (laughs) it was amazing. I mean, crazy stuff's happening. I'm in there with a hose spraying down the floor, you know, and I've got guys coming in on their lunch break being like, man, my marriage is falling apart. Can we talk? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, what do you want to talk about, bro? There was a decision that was made there where I had been running away from God, just expecting for him to be like a genie or a a magician or a wizard and wave a wand and all of a sudden something to happen. And he was just calling me to obedience. He was calling me to surrender. That's not a fun word. So I just wanna remind you everybody, the goal of Christianity isn't to make it to heaven the goal is actually to introduce people to heaven on this side of eternity. And, and here's why I say that. If you arrive in heaven, man, it's gonna be a beautiful place. Woo, it's gonna be beautiful. You know, you're gonna arrive, you're gonna be like, woo, streets of gold. But if you're there by yourself, who cares? Like, you, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll take an hour, two, three hours, whatever. You'll go through and see the whole city and you'll be like, this, this would sure be nice to look at with other people, wouldn't it? But if you and I will focus on the goal being introducing people on this side, when you arrive in heaven, you'll say, whoa, look at that. And people will come around you then say, whoa, look at that. 
but you'll be more focused on them and Jesus than any of the surroundings. Now, now, in my opinion, these are really important words in language. Language is important. But there's one word in language, an all-known language, that is better than any other word ever, ever thought of. It's the greatest word ever, ever. And if you and I can experience this word I'm about to show you, it will change the very trajectory of your life. It, it can transform your marriage, your workplace, your parenting. That word isn't fiddle-faddle. But that's a fun word. I like to say that word. Uh, it's not Jiminy Criminy. I had a, a, a basketball coach that would yell that at me on the court. How's that help me? You know what I mean? Jiminy Criminy, Yancey. Uh, I'm just dribbling the ball, dude. Like, uh, I don't know. It's not ginormous. I love that word. I use that word. It's not a real word. It's not a, um, no, that word is actually grace. This is the most important word that you will ever see in your life. Nothing can top this. It's the greatest word ever. A working definition for grace is this, an unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. I am one of those people. And whether you like it or not, you are too. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve it. Let me show you the definitive scripture in the New Testament when it comes to grace. And this is the big point of the message, is grace. That's the big point. All right? So here it is, Ephesians chapter 2. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say, that he can't wait to ruin your life. He has all, he has us right where he wants us. Stand, standing on the edge of heaven. You nasty, gross. No, no. You know what he's doing on the edge of heaven? Showering you with grace and kindness. That's what Jesus is doing. For those of you that have not experienced this yet, you can at any moment. You can experience this beautiful grace and kindness. See, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. And that is really important. I'm so thankful that we don't. Because if we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. When I was in eighth grade, my soccer team, my middle school soccer team, made it to a championship game. And I know what you're thinking. Soccer is not a real sport, I agree. Uh, so, so, we, so we make it to this championship game, and we had played so well all year. We had only lost one game, and that's who we were playing in the championship. And with about five minutes left in the game, we were losing three to one. And we were so frustrated. You know, it's the end of a, a great season, and here we are. We're, we're losing. 
And so from around midfield, I did what's called a toe poke. Don't kick a ball with your toe. You'll break your toe. It's awful. But the great thing about hitting the ball in that way is it kind of turns into a knuckleball and it just moves around like this. And so I kicked that thing so hard that it got up off the ground about five feet, traveled almost all the way to the goal. It lands on the ground and rolls, and it rolls right under the outstretched arms of the goalie. And I scored from like midfield. Now, we're still losing everybody. We're losing three to two. But you know what? At that point, it didn't matter anymore. Because what I did at that, there is something that, don't do this with grace. I went like this. Woo! And I started running around the field like this. My teammates lined up behind me and they're following me. And I start, I don't want to tell you this part. I'm going to, but I don't want to. I'm embarrassed. I start yelling, who's the man? And my team starts yelling, you're the man. Like the other team is winning, but they're losing now. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, you, you're losing, losers. You know, who's the man? Ha <laughs> ha. And we lost the game. <laughs> but it, honestly, it was really funny because afterwards, like, we're celebrating. You know, we're high five. Yeah, did you see that? Woo, yeah. Here's what, what happens with grace. See, when I try and earn it that way, I start flying around. Look, look, I, I did better. I, fi- I, I may have finally arrived. Look at this. Look, look, look. And then you realize that you haven't. Then you realize something rises up in you and begins to attack you and hurt you. See, we, we have a problem And the problem is this, we try by our own effort to earn God's grace. My friend, you cannot earn his grace. You can't. You can't. Just so you know, that's really good news. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. It's his work. It's his work. You gotta let him do his work. You gotta let him do his work, and he'll do it. All right, let me show you the definitive scripture in the Old Testament about grace. (laughs) I love this. Zechariah says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Oh my goodness. Look at that. You know, somebody mentioned to me that maybe it, it, it may have happened that my brother actually did that a while ago. And as I was reading, I, I was, I, why did I ever look at that screen? <laughs> this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is what theology would call a Jesus type. There's this study in theology called typology. 
And it's a Jesus type. And so through, through scripture, you see people in the Old Testament who were foreshadowing the coming of our great and mighty King and Savior, our Lord Jesus. Uh, Adam, Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam is the first Adam. Joseph, he saved his people from dying from starvation. Jesus saves us from our sin. Nehemiah is a Jesus type. He rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. Jesus rebuilds our lives. Zerubbabel actually was close with the king of Persia, and the king of Persia allowed him to come back to Jerusalem, begin to restore and rebuild the temple. Well, Jesus is the rebuilder of the temple, not in Jerusalem, but in our hearts. Zerubbabel is known as the Prince of Restoration. If you need restored in the room today, online, whatever campus you are at right now, Jesus can restore you. He can make you brand new, everybody. Brand new. Man. Zerubbabel, and, and what does he say? It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you? Oh, great mountain. Great mountain isn't necessarily talking about a mountain, all right? It's more talking about like great political power. It, it, it's talking about an army. It's, it's spiritually, it's talking about mountains that begin to grow in our hearts. Things that I say, if only, if only my life, if, if I wasn't wrestling with that, I would be okay. Mountains that just rise up. And it's like you can't get past it. You can't get through it, you can't get over it. It's controlling your heart. Well, it continues on. It says, he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. See, grace is not you. It's Jesus. And he starts it in you and he finishes it in you. It's him. It's him. The question is, how do we get it? Because I don't know about you, but I say, what do I got to do to get it? <laughs> so let me try and show you that. There's some results to mountains that we deal with. The first one is dropout. Like when, when you're dealing with a mountain and, it, and it's threatening to, to kill you, it's, it's trying to destroy you, we get angry. We feel separated from God. And then we end up being filled with shame. I've done something I ought not to do, and I'm filled with shame. I'm ashamed of myself. A little side note, I just want to encourage you parents, do your best not to say to your kids, you should be ashamed of yourself. Because you know what it feels like to feel shame, and you never want to feel that. Just a side note. Um, it, it also turns into camouflage. This Listen, if you claim to be a Christian here, here's what happens. You show up, you get out of your car, and you've got a mountain in your back seat. And it's connected to your soul by an unbreakable chain. And you get out of the car, you close the door, and you start 
pulling that mountain behind you, and then you say, uh-oh, I don't want everybody at church to know that I'm struggling because, you know, I mean, it'll get uncomfortable. And I mean, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus, but they won't believe me if I tell them about this mountain. And so we take a blanket of camouflage and we throw it over the mountain. And, and as we're walking in, we see Sister Mildred and we're like, Sister Mildred, how are you today? And she's like, ooh, blessed and highly favored. But there is a, a mountain range of camouflage mountains that she's dragging behind her. And she says to you, oh, Brother Eldon, how are you today? And you're like, mm, God is good all the time, all the time. This mountain is awful. And I'm, I'm dragging It's the secret stuff. It's the stuff I don't want anybody to know about. It's it's the junk in my marriage. It's it's the rebellious child. It's the addiction. It's, It's the junk. Listen, that doesn't need camouflage. That needs freedom. And grace offers it. Here's the last one. Collapse. Now, two things happen when you collapse. It's, it's, it, there's two sides of this coin. The first side is that when you collapse, you, you, you quit. You drop your, uh, to your knees at the foot of the, uh, of the mountain. You say to Jesus, I quit, and then you turn away. And there's a whole Sierra of mountain ranges. It's as far as the eye can see. And we become content to put on pads and a helmet and try and bash our way through these spiritual mountains because we've given up on Jesus. That actually turns into what we would call grace-less living. Maybe on the screen you see a mountain that you're wrestling with in your heart. Maybe on the screen you see a mountain you're wrestling with in your mind, in a relationship at your workplace. I'm not saying that all of these are in your heart, but if you're struggling to receive grace from Jesus, some of these are there. Um, This whole touchy thing I think is really interesting at church Um, The touchy and the rude, they kind of go together a little bit. You know, like a a pastor starts talking about mountains in your heart, and you're like, mute. Turning that off. And and there goes our audience online. You know, bye, everybody. (laughs) Sometimes something begins to talk to us, and we're uncomfortable with that. Um, I, I think the out of control one, that's a big deal. You know, sometimes we get out of control with our, our spending, out of control with the way that we, that we eat, out of control with our emotions, out of control with how we treat one another in, in our family. And, and we get this grace-less living because we've dropped out, we have camouflaged it. You know, don't ask me that question about my camouflage mountain. Don't go there. Or we've collapsed away from Jesus. I, I like to look at it this way. You can either fall away from Jesus or you can fail towards him. I just want to encourage you, when you collapse, fail towards him. 
Fail towards him, everybody. Because when you fail towards him, he, he's like this. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come, come here, son. Come here, daughter. It's okay, baby. That's how Jesus responds. Way too often we think on the other side of that great mountain in our lives that Jesus is on the other side saying, fiddle faddle, Jiminy criminy, how come you can't get through that thing? But he's not. On the other side, he's saying, grace, grace to it. That's what he's saying. But as long as I try and earn through my own effort grace, I won't get it. Here's what collapsing and leaning into Jesus does. Watch. It's called grace-filled living. (laughs) You might recognize these. These are the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, you don't grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. God does. (laughs) God does. He does. That's just leaning back into Jesus. You feel the abrasiveness come on? Uh Uh-uh. But by the grace of God, and he'll bring in some gentleness. (laughs) But you got to lean in to Jesus. But again, our effort to try and earn grace actually ends up trapping us, and it turns into what I would call the performance trap. If I can just perform a little better. I've been a a senior pastor for the last six years in Ottawa, Kansas. Um, And over the last six years, I've had the privilege and honor to uh, preside over 30 funerals. I think I'm at 37 right now. And man, that's been heavy for my heart, you know? I mean, that that gets heavy. And one of the things that so many people say to me when they they come to a funeral that I'm I'm presiding over, they'll uh, say something like, how come I didn't burst into flame when I walked in here? Like, I, I know I can't come to this church because I'll just, I'll just burst into flame, you know. And typically, my answer is, ah, that happens on your third visit. Um, <laughs> but there's an idea there because oftentimes, here's the, here's the, you've heard this phrase, maybe this was you. I've got to clean my life up before I can come to church. I got to clean my life up before Jesus will offer me grace. I've got to get some things in order. I've got to fix myself. No. See, Jesus loves you exactly where you are, everybody, but he loves you too much to leave you that way, and that's grace at work in your life. All right. I got to wrap up. Psalm 107 says this. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. See, we we actually put way too often, way too often, the blame of the mountain that's in my life, we put that on Jesus. And we're like, hey, until you just remove this, I'll finally turn to you. Like I drop out, I camouflage, I collapse, and I turn away, and I'm like, hey, if you would just finally, you know, I'm just, I'm just waiting for you to speak to me before I turn back to you. Listen, everybody, listen to me. He is speaking to you. If, if you're here right now and you can hear what I'm saying, I'm not saying I'm God, but I know this, as I have been communicating about grace, 
Some of us in the room have been saying, oh boy, has he been following me around this week? See, this is from our lives. We fight the mountain. Jesus is a gentleman. He's up in heaven watching. And he sees you put on that helmet and those pads and you run up against the mountain and, and, and Gabriel and Michael are next to him, you know. And, and, and he's like, woo, Gabe, did you see that? Man, that boy's gonna hurt himself. You do it again, he says, woo. Man, girl, that's gonna leave a mark. See, the, the beauty of turning and of collapsing at the foot of the mountain and turning towards Jesus is that this begins to take place. That he turns the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. And what does he do, everybody? There, there, he brings the hungry. Many of us in this room are hungry to experience grace. Please, let this be real. I just need it. Oh, let, let Jesus speak grace over me today. I've messed up. It, it's, I think it's over. But I've, I've showed up one more time hoping that today is the day. And what does Jesus do? He founds a city where we can go and settle. That's a city of grace. This is a picture of my family. <laughs> On your far right is my oldest son, Noah. He will be 20 in October. And I know what you're thinking. You're looking, looking at me and you're saying, did you have him when you were like 13? Yes, we did. Just kidding. Actually, we, we didn't. We were, I was 14. Uh, no, we were very young, everybody. We were very young. In, in fact, I was 17. My girlfriend, who is, who is uh, still my wife, please stay my wife. Please stay. Uh, baby, if you've, just stay with me. We can, it's going to be okay, all right? Um, when we found out we were pregnant, we didn't know what we were going to do. And so we made an appointment at the leading abortion clinic in the United States, that was in Wichita, Kansas, and that was uh, Dr. George Tiller was the leading abortionist in all of the nation. And we made an appointment, we went in and we started thinking through, what are we gonna do? Um, because here is my statement, listen, I know and you know that you and I have been judging one another this entire message, let's just be real, right? We judge, like you're looking at me thinking, are you an idiot, why are you wearing a jacket in deep east Texas. I don't know, I'm sweating so bad right now. What was I thinking? We go in and we get a bunch of information, we set up a follow-up appointment. A couple days later, uh, through a mutual friend, one of my wife's cousins finds out that we're planning to abort our son. And, and here's what I was saying to my wife. Listen, I know at the age of 11, I've been called into full-time ministry. What is it gonna look like to go into ministry with a, having a son out of wedlock? Why don't we just have an abortion? 
Listen, when the mountain (laughs) is growing in your life, things don't make sense. The anxiety, the depression, the pain, like you're scared to death. What am I going to do? And too often we turn away and we start making poor choices instead of leaning in on Jesus and say, Jesus, I really need your help here. (laughs) So Lindsay was at Wichita State University and she was in the middle of a class and security came and pulled her out of class and they had a phone and they handed her the phone and her cousin was on the other side and she said, Lindsay, don't do it. Just, let's just talk first. Don't do it. And here my oldest son stands. One of the most gentle, kind, loving, and considerate people on the planet. It was the grace of God that stopped us. My wife and I uh, got married six weeks after I turned 18. Now listen, this dude over here is going to be 20. And I look at him, I'm like, thank God you're not married. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) what? Six weeks after I turned 18, you know? I don't think I'd ever even shaved once in my life. Five days later, married. Five months later, have our first son, Noah. And three months later, I kicked my wife and my newborn baby out of my house. You know why? Because I wanted to get a motorcycle. Do you remember this, Janet? I wanted to buy a motorcycle and I wanted to live my life. Listen, I I love my brother so much. I called him and I said, hey, would you co-sign with me for a motorcycle? And he said, you are an idiot. You kick your wife and son out and you want to go get a motorcycle? What are you thinking? Yeah, that's right. I'm so thankful. I didn't do that that day. Oh, I was was giving him the one finger salute. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing, Jared? And for eight weeks, my wife lived with her parents and every day at every mealtime, She would take her plate of food and our newborn son. She would go back to her room. She would put her plate of food on the left-hand side of the bed, my newborn son on the right-hand side of the bed. Then she would kneel down at the bed and she would pray this prayer. Jesus, would you please help Jared to fall back in love with you? (laughs) Like, who does that? See, here she is, she's 20 years old. She knew if I would fall in love with Jesus, I would fall in love with her. Maybe you have a rebellious child or a relationship that is on the edge. Pray that they'll fall in love with Jesus. Because if they do, they'll fall back in love with you. And I did, we've been married for 20 years this past May 26, everybody. 20 years, baby. Fifteen of those have been happy. Don't judge. You know it's true for you too. My middle son is severely autistic. He was born with a tumor in the back of his head that took up part of his brain. His tongue doesn't work correctly, so he can only form vowels and not consonants. 
he does not understand what the phrase, I love you, means. We have to coax him. We have to coach him. We have to say, come on, I love you. Say that, I love you. He can't talk very well, so he says, I owe you. And immediately after he says that, he'll say, Looney Tunes, Spotlight Collection, Volume 5. He has no idea what I love you means. He just knows he wants Looney Tunes, Spotlight Collection, Volume 5, DVDs. And he wants it every Friday, by the way. Friday mail, Friday mail, mail. We get to the 25th of every single month and he says, Christmas presents, Christmas presents. Dude, it's June 25. It ain't time for Christmas. Are you kidding me? He has every president's birthday memorized. We get to Lincoln's birthday. He says, happy birthday to Lincoln. Happy birthday to... Birthday presents? It's Lincoln's birthday, bro, not yours. What? Here's the beauty about Caleb. My wife and I have learned what it means to love people who are different than us. We have learned the beauty of unconditional love. Let me help you here, everybody. See, sometimes we don't chase down grace because we don't think we deserve it. And we end up being a whole lot like Caleb. Caleb won't look you in the eye unless you say, come on, son, look me in the eye. And when he does, every time when he does, we say, hey, buddy, hi. And he'll smile. He's like, hi, Spotlight Collection, Volume 5. He doesn't understand what it means to love me. I've been called to be like Jesus. I choose to love him whether he understands it or not. Listen to me. (laughs) Jesus loves you whether you understand it or not. But pastor, I'm unlovable. Oh, no, you are not. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about you, but you don't know my life. I'm telling you my life and he loves me. He's crazy about Jared Yancey. I know it, he is. And as crazy as he is about me, that's how he feels about you. I gotta wrap up. How many times have I said that, Cody, just once? The next one is Luke. Listen, ladies, he's single and ready to mingle. But he's not allowed, so don't try it. Don't try it. Almost every week I'm like, let me see that phone. Who are you texting now? You know what I mean? I'm like, come on, dude, chill out. You don't need seven girlfriends. You don't need a single girlfriend. Luke's a miracle baby. I say that because uh, I had a specific operation to make sure that he wasn't born. It worked well. So at at the age of 23, I'm having an operation to make sure I can't have any more children, and that's very young to do that. But here's why, it's because we had Caleb. For anybody that knows anything about special needs, The percentage rate of your next child of the same gender having special needs is super high, 
super, like it's over the 70 percentile. And we said, man, we can only handle one Caleb. We can't, like this is tough. Like we love our son. I would die for, I would die for my autistic son as quickly as I would die for either of the other two. I mean, I, we love that boy, but we didn't want to have any more like that. And, and on, the, on the day that Luke was going to be born, Lindsay's laying on the, the birthing table there, and I, I, there, just something whooshed into the room, if you will. The doctor had come in and says, well, I, I think, I, it, I'm going to guess he's going to be about six pounds, maybe six and a half. And for some people, that's very healthy. But that was the same size of Caleb. And when Caleb was born, he was so fragile. His little fingers to the tips of his toes, the tip of his, his nose, his lips were blue. Like, like he was just tiny, just frail. He didn't cry. Caleb didn't even cry when he was born. And, and, and just this, this mountain whooshed into the room and so I, I went to the head of the bed there and I put a hand on my wife's tummy and I put a hand on her head and I said no 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 we're not going to start worrying now he's a miracle baby let's believe he's going to be a miracle baby no matter what weight he is when he's born all we're praying for is health and I, we just began to pray and we're just spending time with Jesus <laughs> and in a fit of laughter about 30 minutes later, Luke is born. Nine pounds, 10 ounces, and he came out yelling. No, 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 no. He was not crying, everybody. He's, he's going, Aah! I'm waiting for his head to spin around, you know, like, what happened? They lay him on the warming bed, and within the first 30 seconds of his life, he's already turned over on his side. And I experienced Jesus speak to me in that moment, and he said, son, Luke was on my mind and heart a whole lot longer ago than he was on yours. Just trust me. It's going to be okay. Just trust me. Without his grace, I don't know what we would do, everybody. And finally, there's me. At 25, I was on my deathbed. I had a bacteria in my body that was literally eating my stomach lining and my intestines. Most painful thing I've ever experienced. I'm that guy, you go to the hospital to visit somebody, and I'm that guy down the hall that's screaming. Nothing would help. I mean, it was this way. Doctors and nurses are coming in and they're literally saying, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what to do. Like, I'm laying there like, oh, awesome, thanks. Great bedside manner, bro. <laughs> well, my dad came to stay with me one night and uh, I'm laying there in, in, an, in an, an enormous amount of pain. And I said to him, I said, Dad, I, I think I'm going to die. And I'm not ready. I mean, I, I love Jesus, but nervousness had just poured over. Nervousness had rushed over the threshold of my soul. 
I don't want to die, Dad. But if I do, I want to be ready. Would you help me get ready? I don't know how he did it, everybody. He smiled. If you've had the privilege of, of being around my father, you, I mean, like he smiled. I just felt fear begin to go away, you know. And I said, Dad, would you just sing over me? Help, help me get my heart ready for Jesus. And he said, well, sure, baby. And he calls me Jer Bear. He says, sure, Jer Bear. And he began to sing, all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live and then he sang the high part I can't do that and for the first time and I don't know how long pain began to go away and the next morning the doctors rushed in and they say we figured it out he's gonna be okay every doctor I've ever been to every every caseworker every they when they look at my chart literally every time they, they go like this and they go Jared how are you alive people with half of what this says I mean, they're, they, they're dead. How are you alive? And I say to them what I'm saying to you today. But for the grace of God, he chose to let me have a little bit more time. And so here's what I have practiced. And I practice it. I try to practice this on a daily basis. So apply this, everybody. How do I accept grace? Well, remind yourself of this. Jesus deeply loves me. If all hell is breaking loose in your life today, you need to hear this. He loves you. Jesus completely forgives me. When things go wrong in your life, you know, a lot of people think that he forgets all of our sins. That actually cheapens grace. Scripture says that he remembers your sin no more. You know what that means? It means he doesn't hold it against you. That in the midst of knowing everything about you, he says, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Remind yourself, Jesus is fully pleased with me. He's pleased with you. You don't have it all together yet, it's okay. He's pleased with you. Remind yourself every day that Jesus totally accepts you. Now he, he doesn't love a sinful life, but he's inviting you out of the stuff that's holding you in bondage. And lastly, you need to tell yourself this today. I am complete in Jesus. Listen, Jesus plus anything else leaves you incomplete. 
But if you'll just find yourself, lock yourself into place with Jesus, if you'll just fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll find a completeness, a wholeness, a fullness, a satisfaction that you've never experienced in your life. You will, I just told you five stories of that. I could go on and on about the goodness of my God. His grace is enough. May I pray for you today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I always like to say this prayer. I always pray this, Jesus, what'd you say to me in that message? What'd you say to me in that message? You know, maybe Jesus was beginning to lovingly talk to you about the mountains in your heart, the mountains in your mind. Listen, if you began to hear that and you started feeling shame, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus, that's the performance track. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we rebuke that off your mind, off your heart, off your soul right now. Receive grace. He's on the other side of the mountain. He's not yelling at you, come on you big baby, get back up and hit it again. He's on the other side of the mountain saying, watch out, watch what I can do. Stand back, grace, grace to it. And he's offering you grace today. Today, right here, right now. And if you're ready to receive that grace for a first time or a fresh time, everyone in the room at every single one of our campuses, would you please repeat this prayer after me? Just say something simple. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Would you please forgive me of my sin? Please make me a new person. Begin today to fully remove the mountains that are in my heart. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen.